Grab your seat and grab your Bible if you would. Once again, Happy New Year to you. January 1st today, and uh, we are off to a good start so far. And you guys are the brave ones who, I guess, got up early uh, to come to the first service. Not really early. I don't feel like 9 o'clock is early. For some people, for sure, it's early, uh, but uh, not for you guys. So appreciate you guys being here. And uh, let's open up God's Word together, and uh, we're going to talk about the grace of God this morning. We'll be in First Peter. We'll go back into First Peter next week, and we'll talk about serving in the local church. You guys can prepare yourself for that. Uh, next week, we'll jump back into that. But for this week, I, I was just thinking about 2023 and what it is that I want our church to really rely on in 2023. And it came down to one word, the grace of God. Well, that was more than one word, but the one word is grace. Grace. I want us to rely on grace in 2023. And to do that, we need to understand what grace is. And one of my favorite passages on the grace of God is in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. And so let's just start by reading that together. And then we'll talk about grace, specifically in regards to sanctification. This is what it says, verse 11, Titus 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. This book, Titus, was written by the Apostle Paul to a young man who was commissioned to the island of Crete. And on this island of Crete, you can see it in verse verse 4 and verse 5, on this island of Crete, he was charged with strengthening the local church. And the first thing he was to do in strengthening the local church is to establish the leadership. Establish the leadership. And the second thing he was to do is in chapter 2 and verse 1 is to teach sound doctrine. And really, those are the two main pieces of a local church. You have godly leadership setting the example, and you have someone who is teaching healthy, sound doctrine within the church. That is the foundation by which the church holds up. And in that then, in chapter 2, he talks about five different groups of which the congregation is to behave within the local church. You have older men discipling younger men. You have older women discipling younger women. You have young men in the group who are to be pure in doctrine and pure in speech, pure in their teaching. You have bond servants who are to, who are to also be submissive to their own masters and everything, are to be well-pleasing. And so you have these groups of people within those four walls of the church with an example of leadership and sound doctrine and how they're supposed to live their life. That's the church. That's the church in a nutshell. And all of us fall into one of those categories. All of us have a role and a responsibility within the local church. And all of it, down in verse 10, tells us why it's this way. It is so that, very last line of verse 10, it is so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. The purpose of all of it, the goal of all of it, the goal of the church is to 
adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. It is to put the glory of God on display, on display in our lives individually, on display in our lives corporately. The question then after that is, after, after Paul tells Titus these things, the structure of the church, who is in the church, he then gives us the theological foundation by which is the springboard and how we can do that. And that theological foundation is one word, grace. We need to understand grace. If we are to do our roles within the church, we must understand what grace is. And the first thing we need to understand about grace, you can see it there in the opening line of verse 11 is this, that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. The first thing we need to understand about grace is this, is that God's grace brings salvation, that we are saved entirely by the grace of God. It is the nature of God to save. It is the nature of God to redeem. This is who God is. The very heartbeat of God is to save and redeem people, and the means by which he saves and redeems people is through the grace of God. There is no other way by which you can be saved. You cannot work your way into heaven. You cannot do enough good deeds to get into heaven. You cannot please God enough to which he says, oh, you've done enough. You've made me happy. You've sacrificed enough. You get to go into heaven. No, there is only one way by which mankind is saved, and it is the grace of God. I want to show you a few verses just to to help us understand that, we can even look down in, in Titus 3, 5, where it says this very thing uh, about the grace of God, but maybe more notably, Ephesians chapter 2, in verse, verse 8, it says this very thing. In Ephesians 2, it says, uh, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is not because you were smarter than somebody else. It is not because all of a sudden you figured it out. It wasn't all of a sudden because you got some extra kind of knowledge that somebody else didn't get. You figured it out or because you're a good person or because you came up with all these wonderful things and found out a secret way by which God God will be pleased in you. No, you are only saved by grace, by the unmerited favor of God. That's it. It is not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Look over with me in Romans. I want to show you a couple of verses in Romans. In Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. In verse 15, it says this. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace And the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Look over in Romans 3. 
Verse 23, very popular verse. I bet all of you could say it off the top of your head. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So how are we justified? By doing good works? How are we justified? By covering our sin? How are we justified? How do we make God happy? We've fallen short. We've all sinned. What are we supposed to do? What does it say? And are justified, verse 24, are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. How is it that someone is saved? How is it that someone is justified? It all comes down to this word. It is grace and grace alone. To understand grace, we have to understand our condition. We have to understand that we are in desperate need of a Savior. We have to understand that we've inherited a sin nature, that we are not born good, and then we turn bad. No, we are born sinners, as cute as little babies can be. When they are brought into the world, as cute as they are, they are born with a sin nature, and they have a total inability to save themselves. But God, in this free gift of grace, He has appeared through His Son, Jesus Christ, offering salvation and redemption to all who would believe. This is the primary reason for the grace of God. The grace of God was not shown to the angels. The angels don't need the grace of God. They receive the mercy of God. Only mankind gets the grace of God. It is unique to us. It is special to us. That's how desperate we are in need of God and his kindness and his unmerited favor. And listen, church, once we understand that salvation is all of grace, once we understand that I did nothing, absolutely nothing to deserve the grace of God, then we begin to live different than the rest of the world. That's how we set ourselves apart when we understand that we don't deserve salvation. The rest of the world thinks they do deserve salvation. The rest of the world says, yes, I have done more good deeds than bad deeds. Look at my track record. I'm actually not that bad of a person. I do a lot of good in this world. I deserve salvation. Christians say this, I don't deserve salvation. I deserve the full wrath of God upon my life, but by the grace of God, by the undeserved favor of God, I'm saved. And when we understand that, then we set ourselves apart from the world and we live now for the glory of God. That's why Paul says this to Titus. You have to grasp the grace of God. You have to understand the grace of God because when you get it, then you start to live differently. When you get it, then you can, in that moment, as you understand God's grace, now live how you're supposed to live within the church, according to Titus 2, 1 to 10. But you have to grasp grace. You have to start with this. I deserve God's wrath, but he has shown me grace. And now that motivates me to live a holy life. 
Now that motivates me to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. And so that's why he says that. Number one, the grace of God brings salvation. And somebody is saved only by this. You can write this down. We're saved by faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, through the glory of God alone. That's how you're saved. Number two is this. Not only does grace bring salvation, but secondly is this. God's grace brings sanctification. Not only has the grace of God appeared, bringing salvation to all people, look at verse 12. It is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope. Now we need to understand this, church, that grace does not just save you from your sins and leave you now to live however you want. The grace of God that saved you is the same grace that will also sanctify and purify your life. God has not just committed to saying, here's enough grace to save you. Now go and work out your salvation however you want, apart from the grace of God. Now you're left to yourself and you're on your own in this sin-filled world to go figure out how to live a pure life. No, the same grace that saved you is also the same grace that sanctifies you. The same unmerited favor is needed for you to grow in grace. And God has committed himself through his son and by his spirit to your life of sanctification by his grace. Aren't you thankful for that? That God hasn't said, all right, you're saved, now go, now go figure out how to purify your life apart from me. You don't need any more grace in your life. You've got enough to be saved, now go live a pure life. And if you don't, well, too bad. I got nothing for you. I, you just need to be saved and that's it. We need to understand this. That grace is a two-sided coin. Think of it this way. One side says salvation. The other side says sanctification. One side delivers you from sin. The other side disciplines you from sin. One side removes you from sin. The other side restrains you from sin. One side delivers you. The other side denies you from sin. And all of it is because of the grace of God the unmerited favor by God, so that you have no room to boast. It's all of God. It's all of His grace. So now you're saved by grace with Him, and He is working in, with that same grace so that you will become like Him. Look what it says. It says this, it's training us. It's teaching us, or it's instructing us. Grace becomes our instructor. Grace becomes our teacher. The word here is uh, pedagogy. It's where we uh, refers to this rigorous program where children who are raised in the Greco-Roman world, they would use it for education. And it has to do with this. Listen to this. It has to do with correcting bad habits and replacing them with proper habits. That's what this instruction does. It, it, it corrects bad habits, and it replaces them with proper habits. Now, I don't know about you, but think about your favorite teacher in school. Who was your favorite teacher 
I mean, some of you got to dig deep, like all the way back to like kindergarten, second grade. Some of you are like, no, I had a great teacher in junior high. And the reason I like this teacher is because they were super easy. Like they were really easy on me. I really just liked the easy one. I know there's some of you out there that just wanted the easy. You were signing up for classes with the easy teacher. And some of you are on the other end of the scale saying, no, no, give me the hardest teacher there is. I want the strictest teacher. I want to show them how smart I am. And they would teach you and they would instruct you. They would challenge you. They would test you. They would see where you stand with what you understand. This is what the grace of God does. This is what the unmerited favor of God does. It instructs you and becomes your teacher. It empowers you. It helps us to understand that that sin is no longer your master, but the grace of God is. It helps you understand that you have been bought out of the marketplace of sin and that you have been freed from the power of sin and darkness, as it says in Romans 6. But here's the biggest problem I think we have in understanding grace. You ready for this, church? Here's the biggest problem that we have. The biggest problem we have in understanding that we've been saved by grace is this. We say, yes, Lord, I, I, I believe it. I am saved by grace. I cannot earn my salvation. And we acknowledge that, we believe that, but then we go and live the Christian life as if we've got to grind it out for God until we get to heaven. We live the Christian life as if we can earn the grace of God. I need to please God today. I need to make God happy today. We, we live our life between salvation and heaven with a life of good works where we say, I need to earn God's favor today. I need to earn God's love today. I need, to, I need to, the blessing of God. Uh, I'm looking to be healthy and wealthy and prosperous and to do that. I need to please God. I need to earn his grace. And we need to have the mindset of this. We cannot earn our salvation and we cannot earn our sanctification. We cannot in any way have God love us any more than what he already does. We cannot gain God's favor. Think about it. If you're trying to gain God's favor, that is not grace. Grace is undeserved favor where he just shows it to you. He lavishes it upon you. And so many of us are trying each and every day to perform for God. And we get on this, this treadmill and we're just start, we just start running on this treadmill of good works. And we're going and we're going. We can't figure out why we can't win God's favor. Why? Why? I'm giving. I'm going to church. I'm doing all this stuff. I'm reading my Bible. I'm memorizing scripture. I'm, I'm going to Bible studies. But why does it feel like the grace of God, the favor of God isn't on my life? It's because you're trying to earn it. You're doing it not because you love God. You're doing it because you're trying to earn his favor. And you can't earn his favor. 
And so you wear out. And you give up. I'm not going to read my Bible anymore. It doesn't do me any good. I'll kind of go to church, kind of won't. doesn't do me any good. That Bible reading plan that I'm going to start today, January 1st, probably by February I'll stop. Why? Because I'm into Leviticus, and what does that have to do with, with me? And I give up. I'm trying to earn God's favor. I'm trying to earn God's love. You can't. You can't earn His grace. You can't earn His love. That's called legalism. And you're not under grace, you're under the law still. Someone who is under grace says this, I don't have to read my Bible today. I get to read my Bible today. I don't have to go to church on Sunday. I get to go to church on Sunday. I I don't have to perform for God today. I get to love my neighbor. I get to love my spouse. I get to love my kids. I get to love my friends. I, I do this not to perform for God, not to earn the favor of God. I get to do it because God has shown me grace and I choose to live differently than the rest of the world where I don't have to do it. I get to do it. It is a privilege and it is a joy and it is an honor to, to love God and to serve God and to worship God. I'm done performing for God. I'm just going to live in His grace instead. His unmerited favor. And you're released from legalism. You're released from the law. And you live under grace now and you abide by the law. You abide by His word because you get grace. You understand it. And there's so much freedom in that. It's no longer about earning the favor of God. It's now just about honoring and respecting and worshiping out of thankfulness and appreciation for what God has done for me. And we can say, as Paul said in Romans 6, 14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. And we hop off that treadmill of legalism where we just tire ourselves out, tire ourselves out trying to please God, trying to do more, trying to keep up. And you just get tired and tired and tired and tired until you give up. And I want to keep you in 2023 from tiring yourselves out from being, as it says there, zealous for good works. How do we keep a church zealous for good works? We take them back to the grace of God. You don't have to do it. You get to do it. You don't have to serve in this church. You get to serve in this church. You don't have to love your neighbor. You get to love your neighbor because God has loved you. You get to show grace to other people because God has has been gracious to you. It goes back to the gospel. It motivates everything in your life. I don't need to earn grace. I get to enjoy His grace. There's a song, maybe you guys have, have heard it before. It's, it's, it's called this, it, it's, an, it's an oldie. Not as old as some of the oldies, and it's not Amazing Grace, if you're thinking of that one. It's this, were it not for grace. And this is what it says. It says, time measured out my days. Life carried me along. In my soul, I yearned to follow God. 
but knew I'd never be so strong. I looked hard at this world to learn how heaven could be gained. Just to end where I began, where human effort is all in vain. Were it not for grace, I could tell you where I'd be, wandering down some pointless road to nowhere, with salvation up to me. I know how that would go, the battles I would face, forever running but losing the race, were it not for grace. Isn't this so true? If it weren't for the grace of God in your life, where would you be right now? Think about it. What, what road would you be on right now were it not for the grace of God? If it weren't for God just saying, no, you're on this path now. Were it not for his grace, what battles in sin would you still be fighting right now and continually losing right now? Were it not for the, the grace of God? It says forever running but losing the race were it not for grace. And that's what we need to understand, that all of it is about the grace of God. What does the grace of God do? How does it teach us? So number one, it's this. God's grace teaches us to say no to sin. We rely on the grace of God. It motivates us to what? To renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, to live a self-controlled life. This is what the grace of God does. It gives you the ability to no longer engage in sinful habits of the past, but to break free from current sin struggles. Because you live under grace, listen, you don't have to sin. You don't have to be in bondage to that sin anymore. You don't have to keep running back to it. You're freed from it. By the power of Jesus Christ, you're freed from that sin. And those habits that you keep going back to over and over and over again, you don't have to do it. You're under grace now. You're freed from that bondage. And the grace of God now controls your life. And you believe this, that God has my best in mind. That when temptation comes my way, I, I believe this, that God's grace is enough. In 2 Corinthians 4, 2, it says this, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. By the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. When we receive the grace of God and we understand the grace of God, then it empowers us to deny sin. It empowers us to say no. It empowers us to do the battle, to renounce sin. Because we understand I don't deserve salvation. I don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve the forgiveness of sin. And that motivates me to live a holy life. Unfortunately, too many people live on cheap grace. Where they say, oh, I'm saved. I can go live however I want. I can go do whatever I want. I don't need to say no to sin. I'm saved. I believe Jesus is my Savior, so I can go live my life however I want. They don't understand grace. You don't understand grace. 
When you understand grace, you realize this, that that motivates me now to holy living. I can say no to those things, and I, and I should say no to those things. Because you understand what Christ did for you on the cross. So many people abuse the grace of God for sinful pleasure. And Paul said the very thing in Acts 6, do I, do I just keep on sinning so that grace may abound? What does he say? May it never be. And as hard of strong words as he could say, may it never, 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 never be that we would ever sin so that we could see the grace of God. Rather, the opposite is this. We understand the grace of God so we don't go into sin. It says that we renounce ungodliness. We choose to live godly lives. Ungodly people reject God. Ungodly people ignore God. They disregard God. There's no reverence or devotion or respect or honor for God. And we say, no, we're not going to live like that. We're going to honor God. We're going to love God. We're going to be devoted to God. We're going to respect God. Secondly, we renounce worldliness, which is this, a desire for the things of this world. Desire for the world. Power, prestige a love of the things in this world, we say no to that. I'm not going to fall in love with this world. I'm not going to grow an attachment to this world. Worldly people are defined by those who are consumed in their mind and in their heart and their possessions with the world. They're filled up with the world. They think about it. They talk about it. They center their lives around it. They love this world. D.L. Moody says this, said Christians should live in the world but not be filled with it. A ship lives in the water, but if the water gets into the ship, she goes to the bottom. So Christians may live in the world, but if the world gets into them, they sink. I think that's just such a great picture. Charles Spurgeon said that, he says this, I believe the reason why the church of God at this present moment has so little influence over the world, it's because the world has so much influence over the church. And the church is no longer a sanctuary for the grace of God, but a shelter for the culture. And so what the grace of God does and why we need to continue to go back to the unmerited favor of God is because it teaches us to say no to those things. We renounce those things. We deny those things. We keep them out of our lives motivated by the grace of God. And then it tells us this, to say yes to righteousness. Look what it says, not only renouncing ungodly and worldly passions, but we are to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. How do we get a self-controlled life? We live by the grace of God. We wake up each day and say, God, I need your grace today. I need your favor today. Empower me and motivate me. Remind me of what you've done for me so that I can pursue a a self-controlled life today. How do I live an upright life today? How do I become a person of character, a person that is above reproach? I pray and ask for God to motivate me by the grace of God. I don't deserve it today. I don't deserve the life you've given me today, but I'm going to live above reproach today. I'm going to live a godly life, as it says there, godly life in this present age. And all of it goes back to understanding the grace of God in our life. And so the grace of God saves us. The grace of God sanctifies us. It teaches us to be holy as we depend on his unmerited favor to transform our lives. 
And this is what the Apostle Paul understood. I want everybody to turn with me as we'll, we'll close with this verse in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul got it. Paul understood it. This is one of those verses, by the way, that you should have like on your refrigerator or on the mirror in your bathroom or on your steering wheel while you drive. Probably shouldn't have just said that considering how people drive these days, but 1 Corinthians 15.10, this is what it, better yet, just have it written in your heart and memorize it. Maybe commit this to memory this week. This was Paul's words about the grace of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Paul understood it. If, if you were to say, hey, hey, Paul, define yourself, this is what he would say. Grace. God's grace. But Paul, you worked super, super hard. Like you went from church to church. Like you worked really, really hard. Yeah. By the grace of God. Paul, you did so much. Like you transformed Christianity. How did you do it? The grace of God. All of it was, comes back to this word. The grace of God. Listen, that's where we need to be, church. When somebody says to you anything about anything going on in your life, your response is, it's all because of grace. I am who I am because of the grace of God, and that is it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the ministry that was given to him, Paul says this, it is a ministry of mercy. It is a ministry of grace. We all live under this undeserved favor of God in every aspect of our life so that we answer every question with this. It is by the grace of God I am who I am. It is by the grace of God I can get through this hardship. It is by the grace of God that I enjoy this triumph and joys in my life. It's by the grace of God that I'm able to deny sin in my life. It's by the grace of God that I serve other people. It's by the grace of God that I love other people. And we should be known by our grace because we understand the grace of God that has saved us. And may that be true of you and I this year in 2023 that we can say it is all of grace. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reminder. We take credit for nothing. We don't take credit for our sanctification. We don't take credit for our salvation. We're reminded of this, that the only thing that pleases you, as it says in Hebrews 11.6, is faith. And faith activates grace in our life. And so, Lord, help us to be more faithful. Help us to grow in our faith. Help us to stop trying to earn favor from you. Lord, help us to stop performing Christianity, performing religion, and help us to live in light of the grace of God. 
This isn't about all the things that I have to do because I'm a Christian and I have to do this and I have to do that and I have to be kind and I have to forgive and I I have to read my Bible and I have to pray. No, no. What a joy and a blessing it is to be in fellowship with you that we get to do all these things. And it's an overflow of our understanding of how gracious you have been to us. We get to enjoy time in the Word with you. We get to enjoy communion with you in prayer. And we get to enjoy the fellowship of the saints at church. We're not trying to earn your favor, Lord. We're just trying to live under the unmerited favor of God in our lives. And that's so freeing. It's so liberating. We're no longer in bondage to sin. We are now slaves to righteousness. And so help us, Lord, in this year to keep going back to the grace of God over and over and over again, reminding ourselves of what saved us, reminding ourselves of what we need each and every day. And may we live by that and say, as the Apostle Paul has said, I am who I am because of the grace of God. In Jesus' name, amen.